Hello everyone. Glad to welcome you all to another episode of Sekarmi podcast. This is Priyanka Akakimigal from Sekarmi. Today's discussion is titled as Deception Technology and Honeypots. Let's welcome a honorable guest for the day, Mr. Michael Wingard. He has a 15 years plus experience as a pen tester, auditor, BC manager and IT security, jack of all trade like malware tracking and alerting via malware sinkholes. He works with OT security in industrial control systems, ICS or SCADA environments. His specialties include industrial pen test, vulnerability risk assessments, passive OT asset discovery, threat hunting and zero day. He's also working with ICS or SCADA Honeypot's threat intelligence, building a practical information security with a real-life perspective. He holds an active CISSP certification along with the SAN certifications such as GIAC, Response and Industrial Defense, GRID+, GICSP, Global Industrial Cybersecurity Professional. Furthermore, he is also a certified SCADA Security Architect, CSSA, and has achieved a number of other international IT security product-related certifications. While attackers search for the treasure, the deception technologies monitor them in order to learn their methodology. So let's welcome our guest for the day. Hi, Michael. Thank you very much for the introduction. We are so glad to have you here on our platform for this podcast. What do you think is the role of Honeypot in overall security? Well, that, that's a, a really good and a really interesting question. Um, first of all, we can see Honeypots as special devices, fake devices that have been set up with the sole purpose of alerting if somebody tries to break into your network. Uh, Honeypot is also called like Canarias, and it came originally from the Canaria birds in the mines. So basically, if the bird died, then you know something was wrong. And that's exactly the same thing that the Honeypot here is that if somebody starts to interact with it, then uh, you know there's something wrong because uh, in the perfect world, a honeypot should never ever have any sort of, uh, of uh, contact. Um, you could, you can also see it normally that when I have to ex- ex- explain that that uh, how uh, when you're doing a red team uh, intrusion, the first thing that happens when you come onto a network is of course you need to see what's the lay of the land, like what kind of assets can I potentially hack and take over or compromise. And whenever you do that, you need to do some kind of investigation of the network. In example, like you do port scanning or network snooping or a lot of other things. And and the interesting part with having a honeypot in respect to a lot of other security technologies is, again, it's not supposed ever to be contacted. So you know the moment that your, uh, your honeypot make alerts into your SIEM, into your lock system, you know, there's something going on that probably shouldn't be going on, and and that provides you a, a, a early warning, uh, because in in a lot of situation, uh, various security companies are told that an intrusion can happen within moments, but in order for somebody actually to find out, yes, we have been hacked, yes, we have been breached, it might take up to let's say 100 or even more days. So one of the prime things with the honeypot is it gives you early advance warning that somebody is in your network who definitely probably shouldn't be there in the first place. 
Okay, thank you so much for that. Here is one uh, interesting question for you. Can you give us some examples in which scenario low interaction honeypots and high interaction honeypots are actually used? Yes, in, indeed. Uh, let, let's first start off all with, with the difference of uh, low and the medium and a high interaction honeypots. Basically, the level of interaction shows how much interaction do an attacker need to do before he or she find out this is not the real thing, I'm moving on and trying to attack somebody, something else. Very often, a low interaction honeypot is something where just sending one of you commands, you would see this is actually not the real thing, this is a honeypot, uh, where a high interaction honeypot very often would give you the, the replies, would give you the things that, in example, when you when you scan a high interaction honeypot, rather than saying, oh yes, I'm a Raspberry Pi something something, it would reply back and say, yes, I'm a Siemens system or So basically it would have the ports and the service only that an attacker would expect, and you can interact with it. And the good thing about high interaction honeypot is that the more you interact, the more alerts you generate, and the more the blue team defenders would so, so basically, one example where you are in one scenario where you would be using low interaction honeypots would be for general research. Uh, in example, one of our networks we, we have, we have uh, a large uh, number of uh, low interaction honeypots uh, placed around the globe. And this is basically to see who is going to do scanning uh, of us. And, and that, uh, that, that information is something we put into the feed. And then we can actually warn people and say, okay, your IP address, something, something is actually trying to interact with one of our honeypots, you have probably been breached. So that would, form, that would, that would only work for uh, an example like uh, automated scanning tools and, and, and things like that. that. That would be something that a, a real person, a, a, a good uh, hacker, he and she would, would never say, okay, after a few things we would see. Uh, this is a honeypot, and then we move along. The interesting thing in a scenario where a high interaction honeypot would be used, just imagine uh, being in an industrial network. Let's say, in example, a power substation or on a ship or in a manufacturing thing. If somebody breaks into that, that can have a lot of uh, unpleasant consequences. And, and giving the high interaction honeypot it actually traps the attacker, he, uh, he or she, uh, on the honeypot and try to interact it because, again, imagine that the attacker thinks this is a, this is a real system and, and that would actually then generate alerts so you would be able to see, okay, somebody's in here who definitely should be here. So, uh, again, you come back to, to like, what's the goals? You, you might want to just do, like, research and trends. That would be where you normally would be low interaction honeypot. If you want to do something more sophisticated, or even if you want to put it into as a part of your defense of your networks, then you would always go for for a high interaction honeypot whenever possible. Um, we we recently did a, a, a large research uh, which has been presented at the at the NATO uh, conference, and that was when we had deployed one hundred one hundred. And based on that, we was giving a lot of interesting information, and we actually did manage to find zero data as well. So that means 
process zero days and vulnerability that the vendor don't know or haven't patched for yet, but it's something that actually was being exploited in the wild. So again, based on your on your goal uh, and and what you want to achieve, that's the different way that we normally use uh, either a low interaction or a high interaction. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much for that uh, answer and was uh, quite very elaborative and descriptive. You have a lot of experience working with honeypots. In the industry standards, how honeypots have played an important role when it comes to detecting the most advanced uh, modern day cyber threats? Yes, uh, one thing that's really one of the, the things where honeypot shines is uh, a lot of other systems, uh, a lot of our other security. An example, antivirus product just uh, alerts if uh, if it actually knows uh, this is a virus and I know what kind of virus is. The good thing about a honeypot is that again back to when somebody attacked your network, they need to find out what are actually on the network, how can I uh, exploit it. So the good thing is that the honeypot actually don't care if it's a uh, if it's a virus, if it's a person who's trying to hack, or even if, uh, like the engineer who had uh, not had a lot of uh, coffee in the morning and then trying to enter one IP address, which then happens to be the honeypot. So honeypots do play an important role, and I foresee that they would have to play an even more important role in the future, especially with, with the industry standards. All right. Thank you. Thank you for that. When it comes to real time, uh, can you give us a summary about how this deployment is taking place of this uh, uh, deception strategy carried out in a particular infrastructure or a project that you're working on a uh, real time? I would be very happy to do that. In example, if we take the, the research uh, we have just uh, been publicized, uh, it was basically we went out and got access to a lot of various IP addresses all around the world. An example that we did have IP addresses in India, we did have IP addresses in UK, US, and all over all over the world. Uh, if somebody then tried to probe them or attack them, uh, unknowing to the attacker, we did a transparent redirection into our data centers uh, in the in Scandinavia. So basically, that means that when somebody was trying to scan for interaction with an IP address. Um, then he or she was actually interacting with either real equipment or very, very uh, likely uh, simulation equipment. Um, so, so that was uh, the given the feel that this was actually the real thing because it actually was a real thing. And of course, what we did was uh, we was doing a full PCAP, uh, full network uh, capture analysis on all the events, and then we looked through them. And then was saying, okay, what does he or she person do? Is like, is it a normal tool? Is it an example like uh, Nmap, the port scan, or is it uh, other well-known tools, or is it something very, very uh, specific? So, so that's that one thing. Uh, that that's more like for the research part. In in a real infrastructure deployment, I I particularly know of is that that uh, on various places of the infrastructure they have placed different honeypots. So that means an example that in the office environment, the normal IT environment, then uh, it would be like file servers and things like that. And then when you try to breathe it coming into the industrial network, then uh, it would be an example 
something like uh, RDP server, like a, a job server station. So on various different segments of the network, the honeypot was simulating whatever it would be reasonable to find on that particular network. Um, and of course, everything was uh, logging, and whenever there was alerts, it was being sent up to the team, uh, the system, uh, in order for the defender to actually know that, okay, some, something is actually uh, trying to reach us now, and you would have time to triangulate and, and do probably incident response, because uh, he was aware that something actually happens on your network, uh, and that would be, especially with, with very advanced uh, hackers, they would be able to bypass things like uh, intrusion detection system and, and something like that. So, so that would be two, two typical uh, deployments, either one for research or one for defending, in example, critical infrastructure. Thank you. Thank you so much for that, Mr. Micah. In your experience, can you share some important measures to effective deception for cyber protection? Yes, uh, I can indeed. I can indeed. Uh, some of the important measures is, uh, in example, making that whatever kind of honeypot you put online or, or uh, in-house, it needs to be believable. It, very often you see people who actually deploy honeypots, for example, then uh, forget to, to change like the default settings. Uh, in example, there's a, a very cool open source uh, honeypot project, something called Conpots. Um, there is certain uh, strings and text that is being defaulted in that system. So basically, if you if you scan a conpot honeypot which hasn't been changed, you know in example that okay this serial number is static. I would never ever find a serial number of that number in a real system. So searching on that, it needs to be a honeypot. So so that's the first thing. Like going the additional extra mile in, in order to do some customization. Uh, again, put it on a network where it would be believable. An example that having a file server on a traditional IT network would be very sensible. That would be that would be normal. However, having a very very unique uh, industrial control system sitting on the IT network that would be very unnormal un and out of the ordinary. So so basically, ensure that that it's believable that it, it's uh, and then, uh, last but not least, also realize that Honeypot is a part of the overall defense depth. Very often, Honeypot is uh, very often like your last line of defense because when people start, uh, when an attacker interacts with a Honeypot, that very often means that your traditional intrusion detection and antivirus has failed because somebody was able to, to, to bypass it. Um, so, so that's some of the thing. Make it believable. It's a part of the uh, of a of a larger solution. It's one very important tool, but not the only tool in in how to do defense. I hope this will be useful for most of us who are in this field. These important measures that you have shared. Thank you so much for that. And uh, do you think, in your opinion, whether deception technology techniques are more effective at responding and preventing cybersecurity attacks than any network-based ideas or uh, host-based ideas? Uh, yes, that would be uh, that would actually be my point of view. And, and let me elaborate it a bit because, as I mentioned, that uh, I, I don't say that network idea system or host-based idea system don't have a point. They do. 
But the interesting part about this is that very often, in order to be efficient, you need to have skilled people sitting on a network-based ideas. You need to write rules. You need to look through all the false positives. And one thing on a global scale is that we do have a lack of, uh, of, of personal, of manpower, uh, especially skills. That's, that's the way all over the place. Um, so very often it might be senior technicians who would be able to do uh, some cool network-based ideas rules. But the good thing is that having deployed Honeypot, even a very junior analyst can look into that because, again, back on the premises that it's not supposed to talk at all, no communication. So that means that even a junior researcher or junior analyst can work with a honeypot and they don't necessarily get able to work with an ideas-based solution. Uh, again, it's, it's not the only tool we should have, network-based and the host-based ideas system does have their place. But, but it's a very important addition to our... Coming to this, and uh, what do you think is the difference between the intrusion detection systems and deception technology? What is the key difference that it makes? Yeah, the key difference, and, and I told that from from personal painful experiences as a, as a red team, uh, as probably you and, and most of, of the listeners would know, there are certain ways in order to bypass a intrusion detection. Again, bad mind, an intrusion detection system can only, or most of them, are signature-based. So that means that if there's a signature, it would alert. If there's not a signature, it would detect uh, our intrusion, our attack. Um, where deception technology are behavior-based. So that basically means the honeypot don't care about what kind of interaction there would be because it knows for default that there shouldn't be any interaction or any communication at all uh, with, with the honeypot. So that's the big difference that IDS systems are very often signature-based and because of that we as a red team are able to bypass them or fool them. However, interaction with a honeypot would always, as a red team, would always give you away because the, the blue team, the defender, would start just suddenly know, hey, somebody is scanning our honeypot, they're definitely not going to, supposed to do that. Uh, and then, uh, then you suddenly have the whole incident response team after you. That's something you don't want when you do red team testing. So, so that's the main difference between, uh, I guess, the deception all right thank you thank you for sharing that and uh, why do you think why evolving honeypots to automated deception is very important because uh, future is automation uh, so why do you think uh, honeypots are evolved in this automated deception yes uh, the reason of course why it is important just as you said that that in the future nobody would sit and build the server and install it so so a honeypot needs to be automated as well uh, and I'm, I'm very pleased to say that this is possible uh, today and, and me and, and other good uh, people are actually working to make it even, even easier and even, uh, even better. A, a good thing is that if you make it easy to deploy automated uh, honeypots, the more people will use it and the more people who use honeypots, of course, would be more organizations better protected or, or having, uh, you know, uh, having that additional thing in, uh, in the arsenal. So, so, of course, it's very important to automate because then it makes it more flexible, it's making it more easier, and again, 
everyone else, we can do something even more fun, like looking at, okay, rather than just deploying honeypots, now we can see somebody's attacking our honeypot, and then we can respond to that. Okay, so next question is from our one of our teammates in Sekarmi. How will they help you build a deception capability, not just implement a technology when it comes to honeypots? That, that's actually a really good question, and, and kudos to for for the person who actually asked this question. Uh, the interesting thing is now we have talked about much about honeypots, but you can build a whole environment around honeypots. In an example, also from from a specific uh, uh, installation I know, is that you have honeypots say, okay, I'm a printer, so somebody starts to scan with it, uh, they know that would be something. But you have so many different layers. One thing that we haven't talked that much about is also the use of honey tokens. And basically, that's a little bit of code embedded in a document which you put on a, uh, on a file server, preferable uh, a fake honeypot with a file server. So that means that if, if I'm reaching your network and I try to steal the data, then whenever I open that specific document, you would actually be alerted and said, hey, somebody in Denmark has just opened this document, which was supposedly going to only sit in, in our uh, uh, research and development. So, so again, it's very important to see a honeypot is just like one of the parts in order to build a, a deception capacity but a honeypot can come in many different forms and shapes so so that would be the overall capacity you would have that and last but least also i very often say that when you're using other technologies like intrusion detection uh, antivirus system you would have a lot of uh, false positive alerts going off where it's actually not an alert it's actually not something to look into at least it's not a, a in but the good thing about Honeypot, Honeypot only alerts whenever somebody are trying to interact with them. And again, nobody is supposed to interact with Honeypot, so, so that gives you the whole capacities. Okay, so now I have one final question, which is technical. Can you tell me what are the parts of the kill chain do they really cover? Uh, yes, uh, I can. And I, I'm almost inclined to see all parts, but that would not be entirely true. But but I, mm -hmm. I would walk through the, the typical parts of the kill chain, depending on how you have built the honeypot and what kind of purposes it, it's being deployed with. An uh, example, one of the things you would cover is like the recognition. Just, you know, imagine having a honeypot. If, if you reach the network, then the first thing you would start to do scanning, you would start to interact, you would start to find things. So just on that purpose, just on that specific uh, part, it would say somebody has breached our network, we need to do something about it. So, so that would be, so reconnaissance would be one of the part of the kill chain. Another interesting part is like the delivery. Very often, when people trying to, to do something, an example uh, that uh, the honeypot say, yeah, I am a, a vulnerable XYZ uh, unit. I mean, example, I'm a, a, I'm a, a day server, I'm an old printer, I'm a, like a switch. Then the next thing you would try to do is like you would do the delivery and the exploitation phase. And on, on both of those phases, depending on how the honeypot is being configured, that would also cover that especially like in the exploitation. I, I really like to see uh, uh, on, on some of the global deployed honeypots I have, I really like to see that whenever people are seeing, I have found this old vulnerable 
units. Now I'm going to exploit it. And, and so far, the record for one drawing robot was safe exploit is 28 times. So at least this person was very persistent, but not very smart, because he or she was messing around with the honeybug. And then, uh, last but not least, also like in the in the expiration, uh, again, as I mentioned, if you combine honeypot with honeypot to uh, honey tokens, uh, with an example like files with, with this coder, then you see, okay, somebody is actually trying to exfiltrate what they believe is like intellectual property or important documentation. So, so it does cover like most of the most of the most of the pieces in thank you thank you so much michael that was a lot of information that you shared uh, regarding the deception technology and i have one final question uh, from my side do you think the current learners who are in the technology right now if they have to adopt this deception technology or honeypots how much like what is the path they should take or what do you recommend to start with any courses or how is the future of deception technology so yeah. that they can adopt this and do this as a major? Yes. Uh, I, I would say the, 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 the future for deception technology is, is bright, especially as more and more people see that deploying honeypots allow uh, junior staff actually to take action on saying rather than, than you need to be seniors. Uh, there's a, is a, a, a number of, uh, of really good uh, classes. Uh, an example is something called uh, Black Hill Information Security, which have actually a four, four days, four times uh, class on, uh, on deception technology. Um, I also do uh, various uh, presentations and classes at, at various conferences as well. Um, but I think the most important part is that when you start to looking into deception technology, uh, you would you start to, to build up a strategy and say, what is my purpose on, on this activity? Would I like to do it in example for research? In example, am I trying to, to write a PhD on deception technology? Or uh, I have just been uh, signed up with a very important uh, critical infrastructure company. I need to protect the network. So basically find out what, what kind of strategy would, would uh, be necessary. The next thing then is looking at what kind of equipment would normally be found in that environment that we are going to protect. And then last but not least, just with everything else, be fast and be very uh, fast to, to adopt new, uh, new threats. Uh, in example, I can give one good example that when the C-Tricks vulnerability came out, uh, just you know, uh, in uh, the end of, of last year, I was able to deploy uh, Citrix uh, honeypot within 40, uh, 48 hours, and that gave me a lot of really interesting insight. So, so also be very willing when you're starting. Uh, say, how can I be as flexible as possible? How can I, I deploy new honeypots as fast as possible? And again, looking into automation because having to build honeypots uh, device by device, that's, that's not going to fly anything. Uh, and then, of course, uh, you know, in, uh, just as, as a lot of places in, in the community, reach out via podcast uh, just like, like this. And there's also a lot of really good uh, material on YouTube from, for example, DevCon, Black Hat. There's also a conference called CS3 in Stockholm. And there's also a, a really cool uh, conference called S4 in Miami. 
and each of them do have presentation online ready to, to go regarding this so even if you are a young student and don't have a huge budget you, you have the ability to, to start learning about something uh, there's also a lot of uh, open source projects as mentioned before there's an open source project called Conpod for industrial things if you want to look into like initial honeypots there's something called cowry. Uh, so plenty of things to explore on, on GitHub and then you know start learning that was very valuable. That was a very valuable information, uh, Mr. Michael, that you had given for the fellow students who are trying to learn the technology right now. Uh, thank you so much for sharing all your great insights with us in this topic, Deception Technology and Honeypots. And it was great to have you on our platform, Sekarmi, for our podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you and thank you very much for the opportunity. It was wonderful having Mr. Michael Wingard with us, giving great insight on deception technology and honeypots. Hope you all enjoyed the podcast. You can listen to our podcasts on Spotify, Google and Apple Podcasts. Also, do not forget to sign up on our platform sekarmi.org for day-to-day -day hacking articles. Thank you all and I'll see you again with another interesting topic. This is Priyanka Akakimigal from Sekarmi along with Women of Sekarmi.